pandemic. Today, justice has been meted out. What I intend to do is uh, use uh, the award to try and help other people in, in that so that we can save more children. Jury members told ABC News they didn't believe any one individual at Child Protective Services was responsible for what happened. They blame a systematic failure for the tragedy. It just came down to this. You cannot have reunification, you know, as your goal at the expense of child safety. And, you know, lawsuits change things. Brown versus Board of Education, Roe v. Wade. I mean, that's how things change. So 2020 reached out to several agencies in both states, and they declined to comment or refer to other departments. In the end, we were unable to get an answer to our questions. Could the actions of these agencies or their inactions have contributed to the murders of Brayden and Charlie Powell? It should have never have got to the point where you had Josh getting his kids into that house and blowing it up. This is Outline of a Murder, the smart true crime podcast that goes into the why. And with me is my true crime sidekick, the one, the only mom, a woman so cool under pressure. She keeps on walking even if you fall into a trash can. That was just one time. But I do, I do, when people fall, I laugh. I don't know why I kept walking when she was in the trash can. Well, from from Elena's story, you were not only walking, but you were also laughing hysterically as you were walking off, and she's peeking out of the trash can that she fell into. At the mall. Well, I told her not to walk on the on the seats. So. Yes, yeah, so let's just let her... She could her... catch up. <laughs> if she could get out. She was like, what, six? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so moral of the story, back in the day, malls, they had the chair or the benches where it went into the trash cans, and my sister was walking on the bench and then went boop right into the trash can. And, you know, the the maybe instinct of other mothers, except it seems our generational line, would be to go rescue the child from the trash can. But we just laugh when things like that happen. Oh, that was so funny. So, uh, this is going to be a very difficult case. It's very, a very intense. Yes, and it's popular um, because it's still a mystery we don't know where the body is of the first victim and then what happened later on so and the children you know especially yeah anytime children are involved uh me and mike watched the a three-part series on this and did it too. did affect me normally i'm i'm not too bad but this one definitely got to me a little bit but before we get started even though it's 11 o'clock in the morning I did want you to try one of our wines because we haven't the last three times because it's like in the morning. It was too early. But now we're at noon. This is a great wine for at noon. We do it at every podcast usually. Well, almost noon, actually. It's 11. So this is now, again, we've been doing Cella Rosa the whole time because we're newbies and we like that wine. So we've just tried different flavors. Because it's sweet. Yes. Not strong alcohol taste. Well, and I heard it takes a while for your palate to... Adjust. Well, I don't know. I'm that new. Yes. So this one's the berry. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to take a drink and rate it. 
That's a five for me. It's a five this for me. This is my favorite. We're in agreement. Yeah. We yes. haven't been agreeing on the others. I think we need others. to clink. Cheers. Well, that was kind of a weird clink. That wasn't it. We hit each other's fingers. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. Stella Rosaberry is one of that my favorites. That is good. If you black, can recommend anybody, black was good. Mm-hmm. Stella Rosa. Yeah. If you can, if the uh, listeners can recommend any wines they like, mm-hmm. we'll try them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And cases, they for season cases, they need to be ones that we can extract information. That's what this podcast does to help others. But we do have our mid-season uh, series that's just discussing true crime in general, usually themed. And we're going to do some very old, old cases in March of 2022. So if you have any that you want to recommend, we usually do about five. I've already got a list. But if something captures my attention, I'm definitely willing to adjust. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it drops in March. It does. And please... Uh, leave your your cases on our website or you can follow us on instagram and facebook and direct message me this case the case of susan powell has more twists and turns than any case we've done so far it is crazy it spans two states washington and utah it's going to be a tough one again so i just want to give like a viewer discretion that there are children involved lots of sexual uh, stuff going on that's disturbing and uh, this is definitely the one of season two where you may walk away possibly frustrated and angry at what happened uh, at the end I don't think it's as difficult for me as Chris Watts the Chris Watts case was because there's not a lot of social media presence you know like with little Bella singing how her daddy's a hero and then he kills her twice but the death and the destruction of this one family is unbelievable. So to get started, what I want to do to just kind of bring some organization in is give the background and some of the characters, okay? You can. The first one is Josh Powell. And we're going to call him Poop Bird from now on, if you don't mind. And let me bring up a picture of him. So you can see. So this is him playing with his two boys. And it looks like, you know, I mean, the way he looks at his kids and all the pictures, I mean, it looks like he genuinely loves him. And everybody that talked to him or knew the family said he was a good dad. In fact, the oldest little boy looks a lot like him. He looks happy Mm -hmm. in the pictures of his kids. He does. And you know... I don't want to divulge anything, but even in a sick way towards the end, he loved them enough to be with him and do what he did. You know what I mean? In a sick no. way. I don't call that love. It's, But in his mind, I think he thought that's what love was. I think it was another form of control. I think he was very controlling. Uh, and they do think that love, like, you know, a lot of times when you have people that kill their wives or whatever, it's like, well, I loved her and she couldn't be with anybody else. Well, you know, that's obviously not love when you kill somebody. Right, right. But, but this, in their minds, yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is a picture of them when they first got married. And, you know, he looks very young. Um, according, and there's just like some really weird stuff that's going on here. Josh Powell, he was born January 20th, 1976, so he'd be three years younger if he was still alive, so about 45 today, to Stephen and Terrica Powell of Pialup, Washington, 
I don't know. Don't look yeah, at me. She I don't have know no how idea. to pronounce it. If not, please forgive me if you're from there. His parents were part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Mormons. But I can tell you everything that I've learned about this family, they weren't exactly the most wholesome. And there were a lot of things going on that were disturbing. You mean his family? Yes. Not hers. Yes. Yeah. Which could be one of the things that people need to do is kind of research the family really get to know them because you know when you get married you're not marrying just your spouse you're marrying the family the only time that would be different is if maybe the one of the spouses is estranged from the family or they live so far apart it's very rare like my husband's side of the family i got to know his parents very very well but as far as the rest of his family they're from upstate new york i've met the grandmother like i think twice and she's already passed away so really you know think if the family is heavily involved in your true love's life you might want to make sure they're not weird well i don't think she really by what i've read and seen that she knew there was any odd things about the family till after the, yes the marriage yes yes and it gets really weird According to divorce filings by Josh's mother, Tarika, in 1992, Josh's dad shared pornography with Joshua and his two sons. He also refused to, quote, teach or enforce limits on certain behaviors. And from what I can tell, these behaviors included sexual perversion and a terrible attitude to women. So Stephen taught his boys to dominate, to be controlling, especially over the females in the family, and also, his dad, Stephen, was a sex addict and a real pervert. He was sick in the head. He saw women as objects. And so he basically raised his sons to view them that way as well. I and wonder if the other son, his brother, Michael, um, felt the same way as this, this despicable person. I think both sons were involved in being disrespectful to the mother and dominating and looking uh, at women as beneath them is that's that's kind of the picture I got. It was like women are under us type deal. But I'm not sure on Michael because I couldn't find anything as far as his relationships and stuff, how he was, and then he ended up committing suicide, which we'll get to. Right. That uh, this attitude carried over into Josh's relationships as well, which he didn't have much. I mean, you can tell from the picture he was probably awkward, right? Maybe a little bit shy. He shy. would be what we would call. A computer nerd. I mean, I'm a computer nerd, so I know what that is. Mm -hmm. He loved electronics. He loved computers. And he was kind of nerdy, you know? Yeah. His picture, you know, nothing wrong with nerdy, but he does look yeah. a little nerdy. Yeah. And then his mom <clears throat> said that Stephen was harsh, a harsh disciplinarian who pointedly attacked Josh. So really? it's like Josh was his target. Mm-hmm. Wonder why. Don't know, but it always seems like there's one kid... They gets the brunt of the abuse and attention. The divorce was bitter. They disagreed over everything. Court documents also reveal allegations of mental unfitness, polygamy, and witchcraft. Oh, boy. Stephen accused his wife of adopting a mixture of New Age mysticism combined with Mormonism. He said that she practiced witchcraft and devil worship. And so then, they're both nut jobs. You, you know, I could not verify how deep she was into new age on new age and mysticism and all that stuff. So I'm not sure how true it was, but she did seem like there was some of that there. And Stephen was a liar too. So yes, you can't always verify and physically abusive. Right. So that came out in the court. 
Now, sometimes people will just throw anything out and see what sticks in court, they too, do. and it's not they true. Do. They do. But I do believe that he was. Terika's uh, mother, uh, so that would be Josh's grandmother, said that Stephen was, quote, very anti-church, anti-country, anti-authority, very radical person who taught the boys to mock and insult their mother. Wow. Father of the year. Yeah. And then Terika's sister said that the older pal boys, including Joshua, had, quote, a very distorted image of their own questionable rights to do anything they darn well please, combined with a very deep contempt toward women in general and then any authority at all. Had Stephen been married before? Did he have any other children? No. So just the two. Well, they have more children, but I think he'd only been married to Terika. I knew they had a daughter. Two. But the son, only two sons. I think. I think it was just four kids, two daughters, two sons that I know of. One daughter still stands behind her dad. Uh, The other one knew things were messed up. And she knew her brother did this. Okay. Now, in spite of all the allegations from the mother, the boys actually went to live with Stephen. And then... As far as I could tell, only one sister went to live with the mother, but then she eventually went to live with Stephen, too. I imagine. I know why. Why? The freedom. Do what you want. He was very laid back. Well, but he was a harsh disciplinarian. But yet he let them do what they wanted. Probably. It, It probably could be that. Yeah. But he let the sisters move in, which they are women. Or maybe the mother was bat, you know what, crazy, and they thought, well, we'll pick one crazy over the other. Right. I, right. I don't know. Oh, so there's five children because Steve Stephen's parents got custody of all five children for a year before oh. they finally returned to the mother. So it's weird. It sounds like they all went to live with Stephen, then they went to live with the grandparents, and then they returned to the mother. I don't know if I have that order correct, but that seems to be the gist. So two of the kids, you don't see any publicity. They stayed in the background, as I would have. Mm-hmm. I mean, could you imagine being related to that kind of net? No. No. David Reese, a California psychiatrist and expert in character and personality dynamics, stated, quote, on some level, the child is going to align himself with the person he sees as a threat. Really? Mm-hmm. That's and in interesting. In this case, it's Stephen Powell. So I guess kids will tend to do that because they're trying to avoid maybe the wrath. They're trying to keep themselves safe. And so to them, it's like, you know what? I'll just do whatever the one that's a threat wants me to do, maybe. Yeah, and the emotional, too. Oh, you want to stay over there. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the mental blackmail. And yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After the divorce and all the turmoil that followed, Josh was withdrawn and refused to interact with others or make eye contact for about a year. Wow. So this is definitely a sign from the beginning that something was wrong with Joshua and his brother, which we'll find out later. But she didn't know him. Susan didn't know him at the time. No. No, this is all pre-Susan. She didn't even know. And I can't verify some of this information. I mean, it came out in a couple sources, but I couldn't find it like in any legal sources, like court documents or anything. But there were some rumors that he had killed one of his sister's gerbils and he had threatened his mother once with a butcher knife and then that he had tried to hang himself as a teenager. Now, I had heard that he threatened his mother with a knife. Okay. That's the only one I heard. Okay. So I'm gonna, I'm believing that's that's true, and the other two maybe too, but I haven't seen anything. He was about definitely that. disturbed, he and was. you can tell he didn't have very good social skills, which are really important for people to have. Wonder if he had good grades, and if he was 
a good student. You know what I mean? Yeah. If any of the bad behavior that he showed later bled out. I don't know. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. I didn't uh, see anything or come across anything as far as a school. Or just in life general, friends. I mean, you know. It didn't seem like he had tons of friends. Like the picture I got was it was an extremely close-knit, almost incestuous family. Like, you know, it, there was no outside influence there is just kind of weird. It is weird because usually crazy, you see something. Yeah. You see weirdness. And not saying that Stephen or, or anyone else molested their children. No. It just by incestuous, meaning that they were just themselves and that was their world. It but seemed you know, like. If there's porn and his distaste for women and his father, Stephen. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he did to his daughters, but I don't think that even came out. It That's never you came can't out. Prove. Yeah, and it, it would have. I neither think. one of them said that, and I do too. I think that if he was molesting, but to me, showing young children pornography is molestation. It is. It it's, is. It's not good, and he was doing it on purpose. Hmm. I did, however, discover a previous relationship, <laughs> a romantic relationship, with a young woman named Catherine Stephen or Josh. Josh. With Catherine Terry Everett. So he had at least one serious relationship before he met Susan. He met Catherine at a local LDS church congregation, and they moved in together. It wasn't long after they moved in that Josh became very possessive toward Catherine. He began to dictate what she could do and what she couldn't do, even with her own family. Really? So here we have red flags. Yeah, that's a sign of abusive. Yes. When she went to visit her family, he'd come too because she couldn't go by herself. Wow. All right. So I'm going to play a little snippet. This is actually Catherine talking about when she uh, dated Josh. Only other serious girlfriend. He was always the ultimate winner. Catherine may have the most insight into who he really was and what he was capable of. At the time, of course, I thought I was happy. In digging deeper into Catherine's life with Josh and his marriage to Susan, some startling similarities are Josh met both women at local church events. The first time I met him was an activity. No coincidence, says Susan's father, Chuck Cox. I I definitely felt like he was shopping in LDS areas for young girls who believed in the happy marriage and listened to your husband. friends he only wanted me to have him josh controlled with isolation he needed a cell phone she didn't need one and in both relationships he managed the money every time i got my check he'd have me sign it and then he'd stick it in his account she was working because he wouldn't work in that way she was basically just a an asset or a slave i was an asset to him but Catherine everett got away it's actually kind of creepy really kept me on a short leash and I didn't even realize that that's what was going on and neither did Susan she was eternally optimistic in first time interviews for cold detectives detailed dead ends and turning points in the investigation yeah that opened the door for us and the one thing they believe would have forced Josh to reveal what really happened Josh Powell of course was never arrested in his wife's disappearance or her presumed murder hmm and I like how, notice she said winning. Did you know she yeah, said that? I, yeah, I noticed that. And we've, a lot of them say that. And a lot of them, that's what it's we've about. We've now had that several times. Mm-hmm. We had it with Maria Spencer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the other one? It was one of the first ones where it was winning. Was it Bonnie? Yeah, Bonnie Hayne. Black, black, 
Not Black, Black Sabbath, no. No, no, no. Black Thorn? Black oh, Thorn. Black Thorn, yep. He wanted it was to win. Winning. It was about winning. So that's interesting that now we're seeing a pattern of winning is the most important mm-hmm. thing. And what I also thought was important for people to hear is she said, I didn't even recognize what was going on. Well, that's how it is usually, I think. Yeah. And it's a slow, slow it is process. And it's almost like you know, like let's say like you're you meet this guy, you know, you you're feeling the, you know, good feelings of that. And you may even interpret his desire to spend every waking minute with you as romance. Love. Love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because who doesn't want to be wanted? Right. Who doesn't want to be someone else's obsession, right? So that's, though, a sign because I remember when Kent started dating and I knew that Chrissy would be his wife. I didn't tell him, though, because I, you know, I wanted him to hear it, but I knew that she would be his wife. I would, I would tell him, now, son, you need to make sure that y'all have healthy friendships outside of your relationship, that you can spend time alone. You can pursue separate interests as well as interests together because you don't want your entire life to be tied up because that's not healthy. And so to this day, they spend a lot of time together because they like to, but they also have their own separate Mm -hmm. friends that they do fun things with. There's no jealousy. There's no weirdness. And so that's important. That's healthy. It's not healthy to have someone cling to you where you're Mm -hmm. smothered and you can't spend time even with your own family. But you think it's, oh, you're all giddy it's love and then when it's too late usually is when they realize oh you know yeah and i'm glad Catherine got away because he definitely has signs of a typical abuser yeah for sure so i guess she had gone on a trip and she decided not to return to seattle just because of josh she called and broke up with him while visiting a friend in utah well that tells me she was a little scared yeah she knew something was up Mm-hmm. Or maybe she just was tired of the clinginess. And, because who wants a man that that's clingy, quite frankly? I mean, that's, to me, a crybaby. Well, a lot of people do. I know. I don't get it. I like because strong, a lot of tough men. Women like the control also. Not, Not to the point that most abusive. women is abusive, I hope. But, right. you know, yeah. they like that. Yeah, she definitely was smart. She listened to her gut. Not saying that Susan wasn't smart, just that she seemed to have maybe a personality that was a little more distrustful than Susan, because Susan was very sweet. Like but her also, father said. Again, could handle her business, too. Uh, she was optimistic. Yes. Yes. And family was very important to her, mm-hmm. which goes back to possibly an S personality, which is the nurturing, the accepting, the extremely patient. They're very resistant to change. They are the ones that will do everything they can to preserve their family, even past the point where it's danger now. Yeah. And for her, it's sad, but true. It was just too late. Yeah. So she breaks up with them, and again, it seems like normal things can seem ordinary, but they're and they're dismissed. And you're, and I think again, I, I said this in an early one. It's very important to recognize your value. And if you have people telling you something's wrong, you need to listen. I don't know how else to be plainer. Well, knowing your value too that that's taught too as it a is. young person. To you your can children. also teach yourself as well. You know, there's lots of different things you can do because everybody has probably backgrounds where mm-hmm. they received messages that they're less than, they're stupid, they're ugly, they're fat, they're too skinny, they're whatever it is. Everybody receives them either from peers or 
parental figures or parents themselves. But as an adult, you can start learning who you are and celebrating that Mm -hmm. and loving that. And I find that people that either have extremely traditional values where family's concerned, which nothing's wrong with that, but they either have extreme uh, views to those or they don't see their value, they end up being targets of a predator. Naive. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. After Catherine, Joshua met Susan Cox, a classmate at his LDS Church Institute of Religion during a dinner party located at his Tacoma apartment in November of 2000. The two started off or hit it off and started the relationship pretty quickly and things moved fast with them marrying April 2001. So this is November of 2000. They're married by April of 2001, which is another red flag that we talked about in the very first episode of season two, where the seven stages to intimate partner homicide, one of those is Moving they move too, too fast. fast. Yep. I wonder if her dad, her dad tried to talk to her mother because it seems like the dad didn't care for him too much from the beginning. Obviously, it's post her disappearance. Yeah. But I wonder, too, I know that I would be very cautious mm-hmm. and tell someone, hey, this is moving too fast. Mm-hmm. He earned a bachelor's degree in business, and he worked for a number of companies over the years that they were married. Susan was a trained cosmetologist, but she took up a job with Wells Fargo Investments after the family relocated to West Valley, Utah, which is a suburb of Salt Lake City. And it seems from my research that Josh was very dysfunctional. He seemed to hop around to different jobs. But I'm impressed he had a bachelor's degree. Right. I wouldn't have thought that. He might have liked learning. background. You know, he might have liked schooling. It felt safe and and good for him. But he could not seem to keep a job. Which, you can see that when people are arrogant, too. Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he was arrogant to to the max. During this time, they had two sons, Charles, born in 2005, and Braden, born in 2007. At these early years, you know, of these cases, it's like you wish you could just show up, like knock on the door and say, Susan, I've seen your future. Come with me. Run. I know. Get your boys right now and run. Because things seem so ordinary. You don't ever, it doesn't ever enter your mind that it's going to end up bad. No. And if it does, what are you going to do about it? That's why. <clears throat> they don't always listen to friends, family. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can change. Oh, it's just he's just going through a bad time. We hear yeah. that a lot. I, I don't know why I stayed. Later you hear people that escape. I don't know. I saw it. I don't know why. I have a friend that she uh, was a missionary, and she met her. She had waited to marry until she met the one. She was a virgin until uh-huh. age 30. <clears throat> um, her Christian faith, you know, was very important right. to her. And they met. In African, within five months, they were married. And we met him because we asked her, please let us meet him because she lived with us at times in between trips. And we met him and we had grave concerns. But I didn't say anything. And then, I mean, I didn't think that her life was in danger. I just felt he was going to be unfaithful. And I felt he was going to go back into drugs because he was a meth addict uh, before. Sure enough, that's exactly what he did. Got involved in meth, went out on her I don't know how many times. So later, I felt bad for not saying anything. I was going to ask you, didn't you feel bad for not telling her? Yeah, and so I asked her, I said, would you have wanted me to tell you? Would it have made any difference? Would she have listened? And she said, yes. I wish everyone, because everyone told her later what they were thinking, 
She said, I wish everyone would have done that. Now, whether I would have listened, I don't know. But I do wish everyone would have come and talked to me. As we've talked to about before, too, because if, if you tell someone, even if they don't do anything, they'll keep an eye out. Yes, maybe they can be a little bit more mm-hmm. alert. Mm-hmm. And the next time, and give them examples. You know, like, hey, when we were at the dinner party and he said this, this, and this to you, I saw contempt on his face. What he said was not good. And give specific examples because it's a guarantee it'll happen again. Oh, yeah. So they'll be able to be like, uh-huh, that's what they said the other day when we had dinner together. So give them examples. Don't give them just generalizations because then they're just going to think that you're being overprotective possibly. Yes, or a personal reason you don't like it. And dismiss right. it. Susan loved him in spite of how dumb he was. She was very kind, strong, and sweet person. She probably dismissed a lot of the red flags she saw, and I bet she probably tr- walked on eggshells at time and tried to smooth feathers. So... Um, look for red flags when you're dating of isolation, gaslighting, restricting what you can and cannot do, which is control, and then generalized narcissistic and crybaby behavior. So narcissism is that person needs all of your attention. Mm-hmm. It's all about them. Even if they're, they do a few things for you, or maybe they seem helpful to others. If it's all centered around them, they might be a narcissist. So narcissist so look it up and take your time yeah because if they're going to love you in two months five months they're going to love you in two in, years in two years one yeah year. yeah so and then gaslighting is where you they make you think that what you're seeing that's wrong is just you're just making it up yes which that happened that's happened to i think everybody yeah yeah <clears throat> sorry if not convinced Contact past girlfriends and wives and ask some questions like, why did the relationship not work? Was he physically abusive, mentally, emotionally? Like, how did he abuse? Yeah, how Josh, did he control? Josh's girlfriend knew. Yeah. Yeah. But, but sometimes people don't listen, even if they hear it. Right. So. But we're given the suggestions, hoping that if there's anyone listening to this and they know someone that's in a dangerous exactly. relationship or they are, hopefully they will they will do whatever it is needed to push past the feelings of loving this person to recognizing is it real do they really love you or is this a situation where it's an abuser that eventually is going to basically abuse you or kill you and just say in a nice way not to the point i've heard people say well i had to stop hanging out with her i didn't like her boyfriend she wouldn't listen to me don't do that. Right. You want to stay in contact with them as much as possible, even if it's difficult. Yes. Josh decided that he wanted to become a real estate agent. So to support her husband, Susan got her own real estate license so she could answer the phone and, you know, know what she was doing to help him out. From all appearances, she was a very dedicated and loyal, loyal wife and was willing to do anything she could to help him in his budding career and make their life better together. The next character in this story is Stephen Powell, Josh's father, which we've already talked about. He's the biggest pervert scumbag uh, that we've ever discussed in any podcast so, so far, far, except yeah. for maybe t- Ted Bundy, who liked to sleep with his dead victims. Yeah, so that I, puts him well, up there pretty high. Yeah, he's pretty high. Stephen Powell was obsessed with himself. He is the epitome of a narcissist. If you want to see what he's like, just watch the videos. He was also obsessed with sex and his daughter-in-law, Susan. There are tons, hundreds 
of hours of videos of himself talking about how much he loved Susan and himself, him masturbating, videos of other women and young girls, and much more. And I believe he made a song for her. He did. Ugh. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if Josh knew about these videos, because remember, he showed them porn, his boys' porn, when they were little. And uh, detectives believe that Josh knew about his dad's obsession for, like, for sure, because his dad would make comments about to Josh. Susan. Yes, yes. And uh, and and that's why they moved out. That's why they moved to Utah. I imagine it was her idea to move. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I he made her uncomfortable. Yeah. And let me show you a picture of this poop bird. So we have poop bird number one. And then we have, this is Stephen Powell, and then we have Poop Bird number two and Josh Powell. And I wanted to show you just her smile, like her whole face lit up, you know, with her boys. She's beautiful. And uh, this is Poop Bird as well, right there. But doesn't he look... In his jail jumpsuit, he looks like arrogant. He's arrogant. Grinning. Yes. And then this is a family photo and here's what strikes me, okay? So we only have the one, so little Charles probably. Uh, they look like a happy family touring New York. Yeah, you would never think the dynamics of that family. Oh, no, that's Seattle, sorry. Yeah, you wouldn't, You uh, just all the happy smiles. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have never thought. When Josh and uh, uh, Susan first got married, they lived in Stephen Powell's home in South Hill, Washington, and that's when he developed this obsession with her. And uh, he would, I mean, they, the police discovered hours of video where he had secretly taken uh, some, she, he was in her face, but he had taken a lot of her breasts, her behind, her legs. And it doesn't sound like Josh was really doing anything about it, which is typical of that type of father-son relationship. Stephen was dominant and, you know, not just the females, but the males. On top of the videos, Stephen had collected baggies of Susan's undergarments, nail clippings, used feminine hygiene products. Oh, boy. And more. They also discovered uh, videos of him dressing pillows with Susan's clothing and masturbating. wonder what he wanted. I mean, he's sick, obviously, with her nail clippings. And use menstrual products? Yeah, I mean... That's disgusting. <clears throat> Who knows the mind of a perv like that? Right. A sick, sick man. Yeah. I also saw some uh, like a videos like on a series about her disappearance where she was wearing a skirt, like a professional dress for work because she was leaving work. And she was walking to her car. She gets in and she pulls her skirt down like all of us have done. When we get in a car, we'll pull our skirt down and then shut the car door. She didn't know that Stephen was filming her, and he said she did it for me. Oh yeah, I remember that quote. Yeah, so he he's like he talks about worshiping her as a goddess. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then he would even read her journals and post love songs to her online under a pseudonym. Oh, that's that's more than crazy. I want to play this video clip 
for you. This is one of the videos that he had of her when I think they lived with him still. Yeah. No, we're not idiots. We yeah. don't butcher the Spanish language. You don't. This is the newest member of Susan and Josh's family. This is our baby. PSL's new investigative podcast series, Cold, enters its second week with more bombshell revelations, this time dealing not with Josh Powell, but instead his father, Stephen. Front and center, boxes of evidence seized from his Washington home. In them, Dozens of disturbing videotapes. Some were used in his voyeurism trial in Washington, but most of them sat in storage at West Valley Police Headquarters for nearly a decade. Yeah, David, the only people to see them were detectives, Steve himself, and KSL investigative reporter Dave Colley. Dave, uh, everyone's anxious to find out what in the world you found. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty crazy stuff. Digging through those tapes and the other evidence police seized, uh, I learned two things. Stevens claimed that he had a mutual intimate relationship with his daughter-in-law was anything but, and his infatuation with her went way beyond anything even the police might have imagined. Here, let me just get a picture of you two. For years, Steve Powell lived with a camcorder in his hand, videotaping important events, weddings, graduations. There you go. But look closer at these moments captured on camera, and you'll see a startling pattern. Regardless of the occasion, Steve Powell focused his lens on one thing. Hold your hand up, please. Susan. Great. Now we will no longer look at your fingers. We'll look at you. So, it's Susan. There's George. her. To not further victimize Susan, we won't show you most of Steve's videos. The majority details Steve's fantasies about Susan, which are sexually explicit. But to understand the family turmoil she endured, you need to see how Steve fixated on her from the very early days of her marriage. We're too close. <laughs> Steve's own journals reveal his infatuation became perversion and persisted through the years. You know, she just, she was very open in a sexual way. And he was vocal about it after she disappeared, claiming Susan was a willing participant. It was definitely a romantic obsession, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Susan's a beautiful woman, and when a beautiful woman comes on to you like that, you, uh, it's really hard to resist that kind of a thing. I mean, maybe it's just me. Probably inappropriate, but um, I, I admit those things were going on. But no one knew the depth of his obsession until investigators stepped foot in his bedroom. It was a house of horrors when we went through there. Police were there to retrieve Susan's childhood journals. Journals Steve spent years swiping and scanning. And journals Josh and Steve had intended to publish to paint Susan as promiscuous. But that plan backfired. Yeah, that opened the door for us. That gave us the search warrant that got us into the house. That found that many much 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 more evidence yeah. yeah inside a locked filing cabinet in steve powell's closet police found evidence that his self-proclaimed relationship with susan was one-sided he stalked her videotaping her from inside his car he stole her personal items her underwear nail clippings hygiene products and he doctored photos of her and used his camera to build his collection 20 to 25 detectives there, and we all went, wow. We were like, that's crazy. So crazy, it bordered on delusion. Steve spent years convincing himself that Susan loved him back. And I know she felt it. I mean, I know she, I mean, she couldn't have missed it. She's not naive either. 
that I know from what I've read in her journals. But if she didn't notice that, she's, no, she did. She had to. Sometimes Susan knew she was being filmed. Other times she had no idea. We found one tape, not even Steve realized he was recording. That captured the moment that he professed his love for her. You can hear exactly how Susan responded in episode two of Cold, available right now. Again, we're being very deliberate in the video clips we are choosing to share here. The goal with Cold is to shine a light on abusive behaviors and to help others escape. Wow. And I like their podcasts, like they're, you know, they're wanting to help others and shed the light on that stuff. They've been involved in a couple of uh, cases I thought were really, really good. That's probably one that we need to listen to. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't listened to it. I haven't listened to them yet either, but they've come up in a couple of my researches. I may. Okay. So obviously, you know, there's a young woman who is feeling uncomfortable at times. Like she said, you're too close. Uh, He professes his love for her. That made her very uncomfortable. Uh, sometimes it seemed like she played along, but I I think it's because she probably didn't know exactly what to do with this new father-in-law of hers. And I mean, it would be very uncomfortable to be, you know, a, a newly married wife and your father-in-law is obsessing with you. I, I'm not sure a young person, because she was you know, in her 20s, would know how to respond. In fact, a psychologist on one of the shows I watched said that with Susan's age and lack of experience, she was being groomed. I see that. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to some of her dad's um, comments, she was naive too. She was yeah. a fixer and, you know, yep. thought things would get better and you know, and she wouldn't have known very what to do. She wouldn't have had the tools and the skills necessary. And, you know, he started early because you hear in the wedding dance or video he was doing, you're too close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So she definitely, from the very, very beginning, knew something weird was going on. That's Once he professed his love for her, that's when they moved. <sighs> and, and she, if I'm not mistaken, and Josh knew but he wouldn't do anything, and that started causing problems. I'm sure he knew from the beginning, or close to, not long after. Because after they moved, the marriage wasn't doing well. Uh, Susan was hoping that the birth of her her two sons would help the marriage. That never, Never. ever works. And I hear that a lot. Yeah. Well, I wanted to get pregnant. I thought that would change him. It it doesn't. No. Once you're like that, you're like that unless you see it and want to change. Not only that, but kids are stressors, actually. Sometimes yes, they make it worse. They bring joy, but they're a stressor. They don't bring, you know, couples that are already, you know, struggling together. It just adds to the madness. It does. So listen, kids are great, but if you want to introduce a whole nother level of, you know, stress, that's the way to do it. Even when they're older. Oh, yeah. sorry, Sherry. Hey, I was a perfect kid. You, yeah. Well, except for two years. <laughs> the problem started with Josh's refu- refusal to attend church services with the family. Susan was also upset that he maintained contact with Stephen despite his attempt to steal her from his own son and even ongoing advances later. So to me, I mean, that would feel like your husband is choosing your perverted dad over you. Yeah, he even admitted it on the newscast. Mm-hmm. When he was interviewed. Yeah. Yeah, it's romantic. It's both-sided. I don't know. I mean, you can call it inappropriate. But right. 
Well, and then Josh, in response to Susan, like, why are you still allowing this man in our lives? Mm-hmm. He would say, well, that's just how he is. No, that, well, that's not, oh, that's just unbelievable. Yes. I don't even have a comment for that. Detectives also suspect suspect that Stephen was telling Josh a lot of bad stuff about Susan in an attempt to break them up so that he could have her because he really felt that Susan was in love with him even after she had shut down his advances and moved to get away from him. But someone like Josh's father, Stephen, even the first thought is even if you move, the father's still calling because he's domineering. Mm Mm-hmm. Josh obviously has no control and no, you know, he just, Cajones. yes, I didn't know how, what word to use. Marbles. So, yeah. So I knew that he would still call. Oh, I remember this photo. Mm-hmm. Friends noticed that Joshua's spending was also extravagant and out of control. He was, quote, extremely controlling toward his wife, the same behavior that he did with Catherine. He was cold and indifferent to her. Joshua filed for bankruptcy in 2007, declaring over $200,000 of debts. Wow. Things got so bad that Susan recorded all of her possessions in case anything happened to her. So I want to play just a small part because it's like 12 minutes long. But I want you to tell me what you think as far as her demeanor, etc. This is me. July 29, 2008. It is 12.33. Mountain time. Um, covering all my bases, making sure that if something happens to me or my family or all of us that our assets are documented. Hope everything works out and we're all happy and live happily ever after as much as that's possible. Charlie, say hi. So it appears that her lawyer told her to document the possessions in her home, fearing her husband Josh might sell off some of the expensive items, including like the tools and electronics. But what I find interesting is what she said. I do too, because he was, the lawyer's worried about her possessions, regular divorce. She's worried about her life. Yes. And she looks miserable. In case anything happens. To us. And you can hear like the flat effect in her voice. And, and she does. She goes around and she films everything. And you can watch it on uh, YouTube, YouTube, YouTube uh, mm-hmm. on YouTube. But, yeah, it's like, and then when she said, you know, hopefully everything works out. We live hev- happily ever after. You can see the doubt on her face, well, the sarcasm. Did, yeah, because she did an eye roll, yeah. if you notice. Which and is, I thought she didn't even believe that. No, she does not it's believe it. Terrible. So where her lawyer, like you said, is like, hey, let's document possessions. For her, she's like... I, you know, in case anything happens to us. You and, know, I, and I thought it was interesting she didn't say me. She said m- me and my family. She knew. And like the last case we just did, she knew. Mm-hmm. I mean, could you imagine knowing that you, you might die mm-hmm. from this no, I person that supposedly was supposed to love you? Yeah, I can't. And uh, it, it's sad to hear the little boys in the background playing. Oh, yeah, it's a horrible case. Most people know what happened to them, but we'll get into it in a second. Police also discovered some general entries and email correspondence that revealed the marital discord. Here's what she wrote in June of 2008, because I believe it was December that she disappeared. For friends and family, 
for family and friends of Susan, all except Josh Powell. I don't trust him. I've been having extreme marital stress for three to four years now. For mine and my children's safety, I feel the need to have a paper trail. He has threatened to skip the country and told me if I divorce, there will be lawyers. If I die, it may not be an accident, even if it looks like one. Yeah, and again, like our last case, she knew this. Mm -hmm. She told friends. So sometimes I don't understand why they don't go to the police sometimes. Because she had her journals. But again, what are they going to do? Well, I'm like you. I think they should go and... Have Look, a talk. If something happens to your wife or the kids, I mean, can they not do that? I don't know. I <clears throat> we know someone in love, law enforcement, yes. and I'm going to ask him if there's anyone listening that's in law enforcement, and you ask yeah. um, your family member because I'm really curious. The only thing I can think of is that if anything ever does happen, and they've had a talk with the spouse, then a court could say maybe like a defense lawyer well they had him from the beginning before from, before anything even ever happened they were looking at him you know so that's the yeah. only thing i can think of that would cause them to not do something about it oh, terrible but she knew she knew something was going to happen and like she said if i die it may not be an accident so it makes you wonder if he was threatening if, her if life happens to us too she said yep Yeah. At this point, she's getting ready to divorce him. And then suddenly he changed. Joshua changed. He became more attentive, caring, kind. It was such a change that it shocked those who knew them well, like their neighbors. It's a roost to keep her in. So this is another red flag. Mm -hmm. It's not just a roost to keep her. He was trying to cover his tracks. Well, plus he knew she was divorcing him. Remember that one of the things that we've learned in these cases is they start planning the killing of their spouse weeks to months before. That's what I meant. He was trying to keep her there and not Uh, leave so he can fulfill his his plan, get ready. Yeah. Because he had a plan, definitely. You know he did. He did. If you have someone that you're with or married to, and they've been a complete poop bird for years and years and years and years, and then all of a sudden... I've changed, and they're treating you like a queen. You know what? There's something weird. There's mm-hmm. something weird, and you yeah. probably need to get away. On the morning of December 6, 2009, Susan attended church with her boys and walked home with a friend. Later that afternoon, neighbor Jovanna Owing stopped by to visit with Susan, who had asked her over to help her untangle some yarn she was using to crochet a blanket for Charlie. What surprised Jovanna was that Josh was cooking pancake and pancakes and eggs for dinner he never cooked ever he also asked jovanna and her husband to eat with them but not the kids because they didn't have enough food wow they, but they had enough he had enough for the adults adults the invitation wow. to eat d- dinner was also strange he never did that the boys were helping their dad in the kitchen while susan and she untangled the yarn There was also a half-decorated Christmas tree in the corner of the living room. Susan was waiting for Josh to get the rest of the ornaments down so she could finish decorating it. There were already presents under the tree. Susan explained with Josh around that she was tithing even though Josh didn't want her to, but she and Josh were going to start marriage counseling through the church. 
However, Josh still wasn't going to church. He wasn't reading the marriage book they'd been given. And Joanna was really nervous about the conversation because Josh was there. He, was, he wasn't interested. But it's almost in like, church. hey, we probably shouldn't be talking about this with your husband here. Like it made her uncomfortable. It was weird. Uh, and then he kept butting in in the conversation. Regardless, Josh got Susan a blanket when she remarked that she was cold. The Owings were impressed with his kindness, making dinner and involving the boys, which was different from anything they had ever heard or seen. But the boys couldn't eat, and Josh didn't eat. Well, no, they had enough for Josh, Susan, and the boys, and just uh, Mrs. Owings and her uh, husband, husband, not their children. Not their children. Which okay, is so I weird. I would have Josh never said that. Susan's children. Right now, is theirs, the Owings. That's sort well, of weird. maybe it actually maybe. I thought it was Josh's children. Was, I don't. That's a good question. I don't know. That does seem weird to fix yourself dinner and then your boys just sit there and watch you while they starve to death. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. I'm sure Susan would have made sure they ate either way. Right, something, but just not the pancakes. No, they. He ate. The boys ate, so I'm wondering if it was their kids, if they even had them. I'm not sure. Okay. All I know is he gave Owings a place in the living room when he finished cooking, and then he sat down at the kitchen table with the boys to eat. The Owings said later it was nice because the last time I had been there, he had to dominate the conversation. He had to be the center of everything. When he came came into a room, it was all about Josh, what Josh had to say. This time it wasn't like that, and I thought, that's really nice. That's a narcissist. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And by the way, listeners, someone doesn't just change overnight. No, they do not. They do not just change overnight. No. Nope. While they were there, Susan got very tired around 5 p.m., and she decided to lie down for a nap. They assumed she was tired from a recent miscarriage and ear infection that she had had. Giovanna stayed until 5.30 untangling the yard. yarn. Josh told Charlie and Braden to get ready to go sledding, so Giovanna left. That was the last last time anyone saw her alive. Some suspect maybe she was poisoned, like given didn't, a drug to put her to sleep. Yeah, didn't one of the guests say, well, after they ate the pancakes, he, he gave everybody their pancakes? You know, he gave her I her heard plate. That. I heard that, or I saw it, that he gave her her plate. Which would be normal. I mean, if I was cooking and handing out food to everybody, I'd hand out their their food to him or their plate. I think he drugged her. But some do wonder. Yeah, and if then, he drugged her. You know, it was too late to see if I, I think he drugged her. Yeah. I'm not quite sure because later she was actually seen it again before she disappeared. So I'm not sure. Oh. Uh, but either way she went to bed and that was the last time anybody that knew her saw her. Another neighbor saw Josh and the boys return home at eight thirty PM. At 11.30, Marco Bastidas, a, na- a different neighbor who lived one house away, heard an alarm sounding, the close, sounding in the closed garage when he was locking up his car. What was weird is that the house was dark and the alarm just kept going. His sister suggested that he go check on the pals, but he didn't want to bother anyone, which is weird because the alarm alone would be bothering. <laughs> well, yeah, the alarm keeps going. No one turns it off. Right. Someone's not home. Right. Yeah. And here's the thing. When people say, well, I don't want to bother anybody. Bother, bother them. Bother them. 
I know it's hard. It's hard for me, and I usually don't mind bothering people, but it is. You don't want to disturb people. If you you haven't heard from someone or seen them. But an empty house with the alarm, he probably just thought they were gone or asleep, and maybe they weren't hearing it. The alarm eventually stopped. Then another neighbor heard, and I didn't know this, heard a man and woman arguing at the Powell home. She later told police that she wished she had gotten up and looked out the window to see where the voices were coming from because she was never sure if it was them. But at some point, the Powell's blue minivan left their garage to parts unknown. Between 9 and 10 a.m. on December 10th, the boys' daycare provider knew something was wrong when the boys weren't dropped off. She tried calling both Susan and Josh but couldn't get a hold of them. She finally called Josh's mother and sister who also were alarmed at this point, they called the police. Oh, the mother and sister did? Yeah. So the police arrive, and they break in, you know, because it's a wellness check, like something's going on. Nobody was home. But what was weird? Two large fans were blowing on a wet spot on the carpet. And if you watch or listen to podcasts, you know what that means. Yes, yeah, and there's pictures of it. You can see the fans and the half-decorated Christmas tree. It wasn't until evening, so this is in the morning, between 9 and 10 a.m., in the evening, uh, they finally got a hold of Josh. They'd been calling him and calling him. He finally answered his phone, and they said, Hey, you know, we've been trying to get a hold of you for hours. The police are at your house. Well, here's what's weird. He didn't immediately go home. Yeah, you know, it's close to Christmas. It's cold. So unless you're going to a relative's, where else would you go well, and be gone that long? The police finally had to call him and tell him, you better get your rear end here now. Did He He didn't answer the first call, though, did he? No, he didn't answer a lot of the calls. Yeah, I didn't think he did. So they took him to the police station for questioning as soon as he arrived. Okay, so here's what he told them, and we're um, about to end part one of this because then it takes a twist. Here's what Josh told him. He said that he loaded up his boys into the minivan. He took them camping at 1230 a.m. at Simpson Springs Campground, which was 25 miles west of where they lived. He said that Susan had stayed home asleep, which I call it BS. There's no way her, as a good mother, is going to let her boys go camping in snowy, frigid weather. It was sub-zero temperatures. There's no way. Her purse cell phone and other items that she would have taken with her were still at the house which makes no sense because when the police broke in the fans were on on the carpet fans are so on what susan do spill wine clean right. the carpet put the fans on and let right. her boys go camping and then susan's gone but her purse is there again criminals aren't smart they're just lucky and so immediately josh becomes a person of interest because he's like well i don't know where she is i don't know they began investigating, collect, collecting evidence. Josh lawyered up. He took his boys, and he moved back to Washington State to live there with his d- dad January tw- uh, 11th, 2010. Oh, wow. Well, I knew. I figured he'd move back with his dad. And then wait till you hear this. So, to make matters worse, Josh and his dad launched SusanPowell.org. And I looked, I looked up the website. It's no longer there which led to a feud between the Cox family, which is Susan's parents, and the Powell family because they used the platform to attack Susan. 
Wow. Josh accused his wife of leading a double life and having an affair and suffering from mental illness, which was not true. And then you won't believe this. Stephen Powell was interviewed in an ABC News show where he stated that he and Susan were in a sexual relationship before she disappeared. So let me play you this because like the cops said earlier, this is when they were able to get a search warrant uh, for Stephen Powell's home. Stephen talks too much. Yeah, like most people. Okay, here we go. I think it's this one. Hang on, let me make sure. Yeah. It's about Susan Powell's disappearance. Her husband, Josh, is now claiming that a stack of old diaries may hold some new clues. Did you kill your wife? No. Their family seemed picture perfect. Two beautiful children, a home in a peaceful Salt Lake City suburb. But when Susan Powell suddenly vanished in December 2009, all eyes turned to her husband, Josh, who eventually became the only person of interest, according to police. Did you have anything to do with the disappearance of your wife? No. Nothing? Nothing. Josh told police he took his boys on a winter camping trip the night his wife disappeared, leaving their home after midnight to drive to a campsite two hours away in the bitter cold. When he returned, he says, his wife was gone. Now, after 20 months of harsh accusations and bitter family embroilments, he tells ABC News his story. What is the truth? People who know me know that I'm a good dad. I work hard. I put my sons first. I was a good husband. I took care of my family. And I see you're still wearing your wedding band. Yeah. You still love her? Yeah. I guess you could say that I still love her. At times, he stopped the interview, claiming he needed time to collect himself. Why take your two young sons camping after midnight, freezing cold temperatures? Well, we just go out and do things that are fun. But it's after midnight. You know, shouldn't your sons be sleeping? Weren't they sleeping? People who know me know that Time is hard for me to keep track of. I tend to be spontaneous. I do things in the spur of the moment. Why not call work the next morning to say, hey, I was out camping, I'm not gonna be in today. To be honest, Saturday was a blur. I was convinced it was still Saturday. And this- So I wanna stop it real quick before you finish it. <clears throat> you see how controlled he is in his speech? And then he's trying to tell us he does things spur of the mo- moment and spontaneous? Yeah, with little ones. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I, I know his personality. It is a C personality to mm-hmm. the core. They don't typically do things spontaneously unless they've got learned behavior. So sometimes they'll have a parent that raised them that is. They're more spontaneous and flexible and all of that. And so they'll start learning that. I don't think that's the case. And also, he said, I guess you could say, in a way, I still love her. He paused before he answers, which a lot of people do, which to me means I have to think of what I need to say. And I think he has tears. Some of them were legitimate, but I I think it was because he maybe felt bad or or the situation. She put him in this position where he had to kill her and get rid of the body, and the whole thing was upsetting. The whole thing. And I totally think his dad knew. Oh, absolutely. 
For Susan Powell continues, just last week, West Valley City Police following up on new leads, searching these abandoned mines in the Nevada desert for clues. While Josh and his father, Stephen Powell, have been making parts of Susan's old journals public, claiming it provides possible reasons for her disappearance. What did those journals tell you about Susan's life growing up? Susan was very emotionally abused as a child. Her mother has some very, she has a very angry personality. Her father is very manipulative. Josh Powell claims that at times Susan was unstable, had even contemplated suicide at different points in her life. She has rocked out the front door in her underwear, started walking down the street. And at the time when all this stuff was happening, it was mortifying to me. I tried to protect her from doing things that I thought might embarrass her or our family in that respect, you know. Josh says he thinks Susan may still be alive and wonders if she left him and their two young children for another man. A claim police will not substantiate. Has she ever been unfaithful to you? Never that I know of. Then why do you think that she would just run off with another man? She is a very sexual person. Josh Powell's father, Stephen Powell, then goes on to make the bizarre claim that he's had a sexual relationship with his daughter-in-law. Susan was uh, very, very sexual with me. She was very flirtatious. I mean, I'm, I'm her father-in-law, and uh, she, she would do a lot of things that, that um, I mean, she was just, she did it. I did, I mean, we, we interacted in a, a lot of sexual ways because Susan enjoys doing that. Do you think a part of you started falling in love with Susan? That's pretty likely, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I would say so. And, and, I, and, and there's no question in my mind that the feelings were mutual. Despite his father's claims, Josh is still holding on to hope. You think she's still alive? At times. It's a roller coaster. What would you want to say to her if she's watching? That I miss her. That she's... That I love her. That she's got two boys who love her. You know what's interesting? In both the interviews, especially the father, the reporter's face. Mm-hmm. Like, you are so full of shit. Which, in the way she asks the questions, I mean, you can tell that she's asking them to get the response that... Um, make like almost like she's just staring at them and he keeps going because that's what happens when you don't talk that's yes just, i learned just that a long going. time ago but it was interesting too bad she couldn't say well here's inserts of susan's journals right to bring on about his family yeah and the father and what's weird is a a, a man did disappear around the same time that susan did and they thought some thought that they ran off together. That was a story they were trying to push the Powell family, uh, but it ended up being that something totally different. That might be totally believable different. if it wasn't for the fact you got your kids. You know when it's night. Mm-hmm. Come on. Mm-hmm. At midnight, two-hour drive to go camping in yeah, you're not gonna do cold that. weather. Yeah. I mean, it, if he planned this, which he did, 
You'd think he would. He could have come up with something different. Well, again, they're not the smartest, right? right? Yes. The father also said there was really a disconnect between the Susan who was a faithful, loving wife and the Susan who was very flirtatious. And notice how they kept saying she was very sexual, a sexual being. They both used the same word. Yes, they the did. The same phrase. Father-in-law, daughter-in-law flirting with each other, maybe some sexual touching or whatever. And I enjoyed it, frankly. Susan was a joy to be around in so many ways, not just those ways. Well, this backfired. Right after the interview, the judge issued a search warrant, and the Powells also received an injunction that forbade them from publishing any material from Susan's journals. It was the journals considered important to the investigation that triggered the police getting the warrant because they had been trying to get them, and they're like, oh, no, we don't have them, we don't have them. And then all of a sudden they're saying, yeah, we've read through them, we're going to publish some of this stuff. Publishing them? How could you? Really? Yeah, and they found a treasure trove. So as said earlier, Stephen had taken a lot of photographs for 4,500 of Susan alone. Wow. And videos of other young girls and women. Some of them were changing and bathing in their bathrooms. They found journal entries of his lust for Susan. He said, I take chances sometimes to take video clips of her, which I watch regularly. He wrote how he'd go through her laundry and masturbate with her underwear and photos of her and twice in her presence. He also slipped a mirror under the bathroom door to spy on her while she went to the bathroom. He wrote about how he had decided to sell his house after Susan expressed it was too dark. He was planning on buying another one if Susan agreed to marry him. Oh, my God. Oh, and then those objects he had bagged, he put her name on all of them with the dates. So even after the move, he kept journaling of his lust for her. So Stephen was charged with child pornography, voyeurism. He was found guilty in 2015 and sentenced to five years in prison. So he's out. Yes, which we'll see what his fate was in part two. I think this is probably a good place to stop uh, with part one. But she entered a hornet's nest and had no idea. Didn't even know. Mm -mm. And really, he didn't have, except for the girl, ex-girlfriend, Josh didn't have a lot of friends. No. That she could find out this stuff. No. And no behavior before. Yeah. But the most despicable, well, besides the murder is putting her journals out there, her her parents. I mean, what? And getting on TV and saying all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. And I find it amusing that they would think that's normal. Like the dad would get up and, and, and say stuff like that and, and think that that wouldn't be weird to people and that it would trigger an investigation. We've met people like that, though. I have before had to say, don't say that out loud because that's not what normal people say. I've done that to people before. Yes. Two people. I've said it. Yeah. Well, the real question is, have you ever been told that? No. <laughs> I've been told I'm loud and I like to talk a lot. No. Not well, that I know of. Hey, it's good that you're loud and you? like to talk a lot because we need that for a podcast. What about no? you? Mm-mm. No, I'm usually pretty discreet. I mean, when I was younger, I might say dumb things, but now I'm pretty discreet when it comes to stuff. I I'll just keep quiet sometimes, unless you really, really aggravate me or push me. And then, you know, it it all comes out. But I will work really hard not to. (sighs) Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? (laughs) 